Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, July 31st, we are studying Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. The cycle repeats again. The people of Israel do evil in the sight of the Lord. He gives them into the hand of their enemies. This time it's the Philistines. But in raising up a deliverer for them this time, the Lord does something we haven't seen yet in the book of Judges. He sets someone apart from birth. And that someone, in this case, is the perhaps the most famous judge of all, Samson. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Clint Poppy. Pastor Poppy serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's great to be here. Always a great honor. As we get started this morning, Pastor Poppy, give us a, a bit of context. This is a, a new section of the book of Judges, so it's the first we've met of Samson at all. But just in terms of the book as a whole, what's a what's good information going into the text we've got for today? Well, you know, you said that the uh, cycle repeats itself, and that's uh, spot on. We have that that cycle repeating again and again where the people of God sin, God delivers them into the hands of the oppressors, God raises up a judge, there's deliverance, and then there's peace in the land. But here, that cycle slows down, and it slows down, and we get details with regard to Samson, four chapters worth of details that uh, God is telling us, you know, something big is going on here. We're going to slow down. We're going to park the car. We're going to get into some details because not only is God raising up a mighty judge, a mighty deliverer, he's teaching us about an even mightier deliverer that will come in the future. I don't want to spoil too much maybe there, but you said, Pastor Poppy, that something big is going on here in the the details that we get with Samson. And I I think you're right that that there is something a bit different or unique that goes on with the Samson narrative compared to other judges. What what would you say, just to give us at least a, a hint or a flavor of it, what's that something bigger that's happening here with all these extra details we get in the Samson narrative? Well, when we when we dig into the specifics of chapter 13, you can't help but think of Luke chapter 1 and 2, you can't help but think of the uh, um, many appearances of God um, in unique ways that are all uh, prefigures of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is uh, almost teasing us. He's giving us hints. He's giving us a picture type for um, all of these things with regard to Jesus that um, are, you know, and, and Samson is a, is a very flawed man, and Christ is perfect. But we see in Samson, in the, in the life of Samson, we see a picture of the, uh, of the Christ to come. In, uh, in chapter 12, you know, where we have uh, Jephthah, that's always a, a hard one to say, we have all this activity happening um, on the east side of the Jordan, and now we're we're changing locations again. The uh, Philistines are are uh, oppressing the people of God on the west side of the Jordan. If uh, if our hearers are uh, familiar, well, if they're not, they can go there. But First uh, Samuel four, five, six, seven, where we have Eli and his sons, and uh, the uh, the Ark of the Covenant being stolen by the Philistines and Dagon and uh, you know, all the things that happen, the, um, uh, the plagues and things that happen to the people there when they have the Ark of the Covenant, they send it right back. This is kind of the uh, narrative and the background that is uh, all taking place at the birth of Samson and in the early years of Samson. And this is, this is setting the stage for a, a giant battle of good versus evil. And uh, 
Samson, who ultimately sacrifices himself for the good of the people. And so in all of that, we, we're just getting the beginnings here in 13, but in all of that, we have a picture of Christ. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely in the in the whole of Samson's account in the book of Judges, and I don't want to get too far from where we are in 13, but just as a bit of a, a teaser, there's a, a summarizing factor that's going on here that, that the story of Samson in, in many ways, I think, helps to summarize what we've seen in the book of Judges. And it does, it is going to, to set the stage for a lot of the narrative that is to come, such, such that we are looking for something more. And we're going to see it today, and maybe this will help with, with what we've got in 13 today. I think chapter 13 is a pretty hopeful chapter from the, the book of Judges as a whole. There's been a lot of low points. But chapter 13, I mean, of course, we're going to see some, some foibles when it comes to Samson's parents. Uh, but overall, I think you get a, a pretty hopeful picture that's painted here in chapter 13. And that, that stands out from a lot of the rest of the book of Judges and not just the Samson narrative. But as the narrative progresses, we're going to see, as you said, Samson is a very flawed man. He's going to leave us wanting something more. And throughout the account, there's going to be these, these teasers of there is a greater deliverer coming. And, of course, we, we know who that is. That's Jesus Christ. And we'll get to see that in, in the text today. So let's, let's go ahead and start reading here in chapter 13 so we don't get too far afield from, from this text and start digging into the rest. So Judges 13, beginning at the first verse. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a nazarite to god from the womb and he shall begin to save israel from the hand of the philistines then the woman came and told her husband a man of god came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of god very awesome i did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name but he said to me behold you shall conceive and bear a son so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now we'll pause there, Pastor Poppy. So the first couple of verses set the stage. It's the repeat of the cycle, as you said. I appreciate you bringing up that geography note that we've gone from the eastern part of the Holy Land with the Jephthah cycle. Now we're going to the western part, such that perhaps there's even some overlap, chronologically speaking, between those two accounts. So we're in the, the west side of Israel right now. And we're going to the tribe of Dan, to the household of a man named Manoah. And we are told in verse 2 that his wife is barren. They've got no children. And, and this is one of those spots where if we've been reading through the scriptures, there should be light bulbs going off in our head. Why is this such a significant detail? Well, <clears throat> children are a gift from God, and uh, we, we tend to... Uh, think that we are the ones in complete control of uh, when and if we have children, God reminds us again and again that uh, he is in control. He is the author and giver of life. And when we see this barrenness, um, we, we see probably the epitome of hopelessness. We, we have seen this uh, with Abraham and uh, the, the pain and the heartache that came with uh, the inability to have children. But there's a, there's a bigger picture going on as well <clears throat> in, uh, in the barrenness of the woman. We see a picture of the barrenness of faith, hope, and love in the bride of Christ, the children of Israel. And so God is the one who gives the gift of life. God is the one who can take us from death to life, from barrenness to fruitfulness. And we're going to see that play out right here in a very miraculous way. And also, every time we see this happening, this is a picture pointing us forward to the miraculous birth 
of the Savior of the world, the Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us. And so all of those things are wrapped up right here in the barrenness of Mrs. Manoa. <laughs> Mrs. Manoa, that's good. I, I guess we don't get her name, do we? Yeah. So, so Mrs. Mrs. Manoa. Manoa. That's right. Mrs. Mrs. Manila is is barren. And I appreciate, you know, barrenness is the epitome of hopelessness. I think sometimes we have forgotten that in our in our society where we do have this foolish notion to think that we can somehow control when and when we don't have have children. And and I think, you know, your connection to Abraham and Sarah is spot on. This is, you know, when when God comes to a, a woman who is barren. Every time he does that, something something big is about to happen. And it is all leading up, as you said, to the time when the Lord doesn't simply come to a, a barren woman, but he comes to a virgin woman, uh, to, to Mary. All of, all of these accounts where we've got these birth stories in the scriptures, Abraham and Sarah, after after Samson, we'll get the, the account of the birth of Samuel, another, another case where there's a, a barren woman. Every time it happens, uh, we should have this reminder going off that, yes, the Lord has promised to bring the savior of the world as the, the seed of a woman. And, and so, you know, we're, we're getting hints along the way. And, and you also mentioned, uh, Pastor Poppy, and I think there's, there's a good connection here too, not only the, the birth of Jesus, because you, you were saying earlier, you know, we've got Luke 1 and 2 here. So Luke, Luke 2, that's the birth of Jesus. And Luke 1 gives the, the backstory to all of those. And it also takes us before the birth of Jesus, not just to the announcement of Gabriel to Mary, but you've got the announcement of Gabriel to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And I think that's that's a particularly important connection to make, given what this angel of the Lord here says to Mrs. Manoah about the child she's going to bear and the way that she's to prepare for the birth of this child. What are what are the preparations? Let's let's look Judges 13 first and then we can make connections to Luke 1. That, what are go uh, ahead. Go before, ahead. before we dig into that that, that is the perfect connection um, you know uh, the, the life of Samson, the birth of Samson, we, we see obvious overtones to the birth of Christ. But in Luke chapter 1 and the miraculous birth of John the Baptist, the John the Baptist who wears the crazy clothes and eats the crazy diet and, and uh, is to prepare the way for the Lord, it's, it's almost an even better type of of John the Baptist said it is Jesus. In uh, as you read through chapter 13, you keep you keep getting this uh this Nazarite vow thing. You uh you 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 can't you can't eat certain foods, you can't drink certain uh drinks, beverages, and uh, you can't uh, you can't visit the barber. This is uh, this is from Numbers chapter Excuse me, Numbers chapter 6, the uh, Nazarite vow is explained here. And just let me read a couple of verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of the Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, he shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair and his head grow. Uh, and then it goes on, I shouldn't touch a dead body and, and things like that. So this, this three parts that the angel of the Lord directs uh, to Manoah and his wife for the, for the child, uh, even to the point where she can't uh, be doing these things while she is pregnant, is no wine or strong drink, no unclean foods, no razor, razor shall touch his head. This is, uh, this is not a vow that uh, Samson takes upon himself. This is a vow that is given to him before he is even conceived. Which is uh, not, it's not entirely unique in the, in the scriptures. For the most part, these vows are ones that would be taken upon a person themselves for a period of time, and then they would come to an end for most 
in most cases. I mean, and part of that was the, the actual cutting of going to the barber, cutting off of the hair. That was one of the the signs that the vow was finished and complete. Samson is, I guess, he's not entirely unique. Because the other person that has this lifelong Nazarite status is, as you said, John the Baptist. He's the other person in the scriptures that he's set apart this way from birth. It's not a vow that he takes upon himself. And, and I, so explore, explore some of those connections with Samson and John the Baptist, because I think you know, we see the connections to, to Christ. But I think, I think the connections to John the Baptist are maybe a little bit stronger. Explore some of those for us, Pastor Poppy. Well, the, <clears throat> I think the key is in verse five, uh, no razor, razor uh, of Judges uh, 13. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Remember uh, John the Baptist leaping in the womb of Elizabeth when uh, Mary came to visit? And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The, uh, this, this begin, is uh, it, it kind of catches us off guard, because normally God raises up a judge, and the judge defeats the enemy, and then there's peace in the land. But uh, Samson here, his job is a, uh, to give a good start to begin. It's not going to be completed. It's it's going to be to begin, and then someone or something bigger is going to come after. And uh, that that gives us a flavor and a foretaste of the almost the exact ministry of John the Baptist. Their, their lives uh, end differently, but they both end the same way in martyrdom. Hmm. Right. I mean, and I think that's the, the key. So, and I, I don't know that I'd noticed this before, but Samson serves as a forerunner of David, it seems, in that sense, that Samson begins this deliverance from the Philistines. And, the, you know, when you think of the enemies of the people of God in the scriptures, the Philistines are, are one of the more famous ones primarily because of David and Goliath. That account we tend to know pretty well. And so we know who the Philistines are as the, quote, bad guys. But that that battle against the Philistines really starts here with Samson. And as you said, Samson gets that deliverance going. He's the, the beginning of that deliverance, but he doesn't finish it. David is the one to finish it. And in a similar fashion, John the Baptist is the forerunner of the Christ. He prepares the way for the greater one, for the son of David, Jesus, who is the ultimate savior. And so I think, I mean, it's just, I think that's a, a very good way of looking at Samson and, and those New Testament parallels to see those connections, particularly because both Samson and John are, are Nazarites. They, they're set apart in these ways. Now, we're going to see as we go forward that Samson doesn't do quite as well as John does, it seems, in, in keeping that vow. Um, but but that's that's a, a later text. So I, I don't want to get too too far into that. But yeah, definite definite uh, parallels here between Samson and John later. Now, so this is the message that the angel of the Lord has brought to Mrs. Manoah, and her she her response is to go and tell her husband. It makes sense he wasn't there at the time, and, and she says a man of God came to me, but she doesn't seem to quite know who this person was that has addressed her. It, particularly, she doesn't know where he's from. She doesn't know what his name is. What's, what's going on in the, the mind of Mrs. Manoa and, and what she's telling her husband concerning who this messenger was? <clears throat> well, that, that uh, term or that phrase, man of God, almost always refers to a prophet, someone, someone who is coming in the name of God to speak a message from God. So she acknowledges a man of God came to me, that, that this was a, uh, a special message, but she's just, at this point, she's not really sure how uh, special this messenger really is. She, uh, it, I think it's interesting, too, that the angel, the, this man of God, comes to the wife, comes to Mrs. Manoah, and not to Manoah. There we have some, some shades of uh, you know, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to tell her what's going on. Um, this not, not um, knowing uh, where he was from and not telling me his name, 
this gives us, uh, we look back in uh, the book of Genesis, we have the, the three visitors who come, we have Abraham and Lot, and we're introduced to this guy who seemingly comes out of nowhere, Melchizedek, who we don't know, we don't know his family, we don't know where he's from, and uh, many, many of the Lutheran fathers uh, equate Melchizedek with Shem, son of Noah. Um, it's a picture of Jesus without beginning, uh, without, uh, without end as the, uh, pre or as the incarnate Son of God. So we have all of these things that are coming together here. Uh, as we know our scriptures, these light bulbs are going off. And then he sa- she says, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. She knows there's something different about this prophet, this man of God, because of his appearance. This uh, angel of God, it's the same, it's equivalent of angel of the Lord, and these are the special manifestations where God takes on human form to bring a special message, uh, a special encouragement, a special command to his people. And that's going to be brought out a little bit more as well. And we've we've seen this figure in the Old Testament on several occasions here on Sharper Iron, where you've got the name of this figure is the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, or you could translate it the messenger of Yahweh. That might be a more helpful way of thinking about, about who this is, because I think when we hear the word angel, we automatically think of that particular class of created beings who are spirits, that they are created beings, but they don't have bodies and they serve God in heaven. And I mean, the various ways that we, we talk about on St. Michael and all angels, that, that festival. So the messenger of Yahweh, who is this? And we've, we've seen him on several occasions on Sharper Iron, even here in the book of Judges, back in the Gideon account in Judges chapter 6, this is the one who came to Gideon. We, we see this uh, at Moses in the burning bush where, where the angel of the, the Lord, the messenger of Yahweh, comes and speaks to Moses in the burning bush. And we've, we've said each time that this is, this is really the Lord who has come in this special way. And, and really, we could probably be even more specific than that. This is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ, who has come now to Mrs. Manoah, and we're going to see him come also to Manoah himself. Judges 13 is another one of those great texts from the Old Testament where we see how the Lord comes as the messenger of Yahweh, the pre-incarnate Christ. Here, this this is not simply an angel that created being, but this is as John says in, in John chapter 1, this is the Word who was in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. And, and here we have him showing up to Mrs. Manoah and to Manoah, as we will see on the other side of the break, to speak about the birth of this deliverer, Samson. And so, Pastor Robbie, I think we'll go ahead and take that break before we pick up more of the text on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, host of Thy Strong Word, taking your questions as we go through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter. Let's read together with guest pastors from around the country and the church around the world, taking chapters and verses together in context, every passage fitting together in the Lord Jesus, because He is the Word of God. Let's read together. Thy Strong Word, weekday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Underwritten by Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHFmissions.org. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular, long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Thank you. 
Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran, including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, July 31st. We're looking at Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 25, the account of Samson's birth with Pastor Clint Poppy. We've got, he's he's the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, prior to the break, we were talking about the appearance of the angel of the Lord to Mrs. Manoa. He tells her that this child that she is going to bear, even though she's been barren, she's going to give birth to this son. He's going to be set apart as a Nazarite from birth. He's going to be the one who will begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. She has told her husband, Manoah, what the angel of the Lord has told her. She's not entirely sure who he is that's going to be revealed. We've kind of teased that already here. And now Manoah himself wants to know a little bit more. So the text continues. We're in Judges 13 now in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. All right, I think I'll pause there. So Manoah wants to know for himself. He, he wants he wants to meet this man of God, find out a little bit more about him, hear from him a little more. I I think it's. I mean, I'm not. This, there's not a whole lot that quote happens here. I suppose. On the one hand, you know, I don't. I'm not sure why Manoah wants to meet the man of God. On the other hand, I'm I'm a bit impressed that neither Manoah nor his wife seems to really doubt this word. You know, like Zechariah, for example, when he hears from the angel Gabriel, he's he doesn't understand how this is going to happen. He, he doubts. Neither Manoah nor his wife has that kind of doubt, but they do want to know more. The angel of the Lord doesn't really give them any more. He simply repeats what he's said so far. Take us, take us into this interaction, Pastor Bobby. What do you see here? Well, again, uh, you you can't you can't read the book of Judges without thinking about Jesus, and uh, that this is how a Christian needs to read the book of Jesus. After the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and gives the uh, marvelous announcement that the Christ child will be born uh, from her womb, his name will be Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Um, Mary tells Joseph. And Joseph isn't really too wild about the whole thing. Uh, It's not that maybe he doesn't believe. Maybe he just needs some extra assurance. And so then God in his grace and mercy comes to Joseph and tells him, hey, everything that Mary told you is true. Uh, Give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. I I see that same uh, picture, that same uh, foreshadowing here first coming to Mrs. Manoa, then coming to... The angel of the Lord would not have had to come back. It didn't make the word more powerful or more sure, but out of grace and love and mercy to give Manoa hope, God answers that prayer in the affirmative, comes and gives that reassurance, that encouragement, and gives Manoa the opportunity as we're going to see here in the uh, later words of this chapter, to discover for himself the identity of this person, and God's going to teach him and encourage him and assure him even more. I I think that's a good parallel to make. The angel of the Lord goes to Mrs. Manoa first, just like Gabriel went to Mary first, and then Mary tells Joseph, Mrs. Manoa tells Manoa those parallels, and to see... 
the graciousness of the Lord in both of those events and the ways that he speaks his word multiple times to these people so that they would hear it and believe it. I mean, we know that the period of the judges was not a time of great faithfulness among the people of Israel. And Manoah and Mrs. Manoah stand out a little bit, I think, as, as I reflect upon who we've met so far in this book. While certainly, you know, they're certainly not prepared to receive, oh, this is the angel of the Lord himself who's come to us. They don't, they don't recognize that till the end. At the same time, they show themselves fairly faithful, even in the midst of, of doubt and, and confusion. And the Lord, above all, shows himself gracious to his people. I mean, who, who have been, again, this is not a time of particular faithfulness among the people of Israel. And yet the Lord remains gracious to them. And he, he's willing to speak his word to them more than once so that they would hear it and believe it. It's just a, it's a beautiful picture of the Lord's grace to these, these people of his. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah almost being replayed here, uh, mm-hmm. different uh, venue, different circumstances, but even even with the offer of, uh, of cooking lunch, as they did in uh, Genesis 18 with the uh, visitors at the Oaks of Mamre. Before, before we move on to the next section, Tim, uh, we, we, have to, uh, we have to look at verse 11. Um, Go for it. And Manoah says, are you the man who spoke to this woman? Mm. And he said, I am. Mm. Um, It's pretty easy to just slide right by that. He could have said he could have answered in the affirmative a hundred different ways. But he answers I am. Now, we don't want to we don't want to put too much into this as well. But I think we would be be remiss when we see that word I am that was in a sense introduced to us in uh, Exodus chapter 3 with uh, Moses and God appearing in the burning bush, I am that I am, you know, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And then later on, when Jesus uses that term, that phrase, to point to himself, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, before Abraham was, I am. Um, if we if we don't at least have our antenna straight up in the air when we see that phrase, I am, um, I, I think we would be missing out on on something God is uh, teaching us here. All right. So another another hint along the way for Manoah and his wife, for us as well as readers of the scriptures, that the person who has come to Manoah and Mrs. Manoah is not simply an angel, a created being, but we're, we're talking about God himself who has come to reveal this good news to his people. And I mean, what a, what a fantastic thing that God himself comes to his people to announce the good news. The connection to Abraham and Sarah is, is a good one. And I think that connection continues then as the, as the text moves on because we get that same context of a meal that's going to happen. Now, something different happens here in Judges 13 than what happens in Genesis 18 with that meal of Abraham uh, with those visitors there. Uh, but, but a similar situation. Before I move on, is there anything else that we've missed here, Pastor Poppy, before we move on to that section? Um, I think, I think we have a lot of stuff coming. So, uh, there there are a couple of little minor details here, but I think if we have time, we can come back to some of that. Uh, We've got a lot of gold nuggets waiting for us. All right. Very good. Well, let's, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the text for us then. And and we'll, we'll look at all those various gold nuggets we've got. So we're now in verse 15 of Judges chapter 13. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. 
And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. That's the end of Judges 13. So quite a bit of text there, Pastor Poppy. Lots to talk about. It, it starts, again, the angel of the Lord has come to Manoah at his prayer. And now Manoah says to the angel of the Lord, not realizing who it is still, let us detain you. Let me prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord says, I'm not going to eat of your food, but you, if you want to give a burnt offering, give an offering to the Lord. What, is, what does Manoah have in mind? And what does the angel of the Lord tell him to do instead? Well, Manoah has in mind, first of all, just general hospitality. This is what you do. People have traveled a long way. They come, they visit, they eat. And we we see a lot of these um, uh, table fellowship kind of things that are going on. Many times these these table fellowships are a, a type of koinonia, and they, they help us to look forward to the ultimate table fellowship that God gives us in the Lord's Supper. Uh, at the culmination of the visit of the three visitors in uh, Genesis 18, uh, Sarah goes and Prepeo goes and butchers a, a goat, uh, and uh, they, they have a big meal. And so seeing these similarities, I think it's uh, it's all very possible that Mrs. Manoa, just uh, Manoa, they want, they want to repeat that same thing. But the response is different. If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. He's shifting their focus toward making a burnt offering. He's shifting their focus to this type of worship, this uh, uh, sacrificial burnt offering type of worship. We can't say that because it's the angel of the Lord, because it's the pre-incarnate Christ, that uh, Jesus won't eat food because uh, we know that that's, that's the case throughout the old, uh, New Testament scriptures and also in Genesis 18. I think he's reinforcing the Nazarite vow that has been given to Samson. I will not eat of your food. Uh, he, is, he is showing here, not only shifting the focus toward the burnt offering, but he is showing here... Uh, I'm not above what I've just told you is going to be for for you, Mrs. Manoa, and your son. Mm, okay, so all right, so th- that's the the deal with the 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 meal that's given, and then this matter of offering it to the Lord. We get this note. Manoa doesn't know who it is, and then the conversation turns to this person and again. Manoa doesn't know who it is, but the the name. What's what's the name? Why why does Manoa want to know the name, and why is the angel of the Lord? not going to give it to him. Well, the name of God um, revealed uh, specifically in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, the the name of God gives us access to God in the same way that if I see you on the street and I don't know who you are, and I come up and say, uh, hey, my name's Clint, who are you? You can, uh, you know, brush me off, I have no access. But if you reach out your hand, even in these days of uh, social distancing and hand sanitizer, say, hey, my name's Tim, glad to meet you. There, there's, there's an access that is given in the name. And the access, in a sense, has already been given when he said, I am, and he's going to continue to give this access because he wants Manoah to figure it out for himself. Mm-hmm. He has made it perfectly clear, and now he's going to continue, um, not, not, not so much to tease him or anything like that, but he's going to continue, and he says, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, isn't that a strange way to answer? Well, of course it is. And yet that word wonderful throughout the Old Testament scriptures, and especially uh, in a text that we read uh, during the season of Advent or uh, the Sunday before or after Christmas, Isaiah 9-6, wonderful, counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
And he doesn't do it once. He does it twice. Uh, or it's twice in our text. Uh, Manoah took the young goat, grain offering, offered it on the rock to the Lord, uh, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. That's why the name Wonderful is attached to God, is because the one true God is the God who works wonders. Wonders like the parting of the Red Sea. Wonders like giving a woman a child who has been barren. Mm, This is the wonderful, wonder-working God that we believe, teach, and confess. Right. That, that that connection between the word wonderful, the name, the name of the Lord is wonderful in verse 18. And then the description of the Lord as the one who works wonders in 19 is, is very important that when we, when we speak of the Lord as wonderful, it's, it's not simply a matter of sort of staring in awe at him, like, oh, how, how wonderful he is. But this matter of it's an action that the Lord is the one who does wonders. He is the one who parts the Red Sea and takes his people safely through. He is the one who gives the barren woman a child. And I think in in all of those wonders that the Lord does, the connection is not just, again, not just that they're amazing things to look at, like, wow, I can't believe that's possible. But, But even more specifically, that the Lord does these things to save his people. That's the real wonder of it all. That's the the wonder that he's accomplishing is that he's saving his people. I mean, to go into the, into the new Testament where there's that rich young man that comes to Jesus and he goes away sad because he doesn't believe. And, and Jesus tells his disciples, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they're thinking, well, who can be saved? And Jesus responds, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's that, that statement, and here's, this is the connection I'm trying to make, is that, that statement that all things are possible with God and the matter of him doing wonders isn't simply, sure, he can do whatever he wants. Of course he can. He's God. But the point of those statements is that he's going to do the wonder of saving you. He's going to do the impossible thing of saving you and saving his people. And that's the real wonderful thing about God. That's the wonder that he does, not just some awesome thing that nobody else can do, but he's actually going to save you from your sins. That's the real wonder, the real impossible thing that he does. Yeah, very very well said. This is not a dreamy-eyed junior high boy or girl looking at the person that they have the crush on and and having this warm fuzzy and hope that someday they can get together and kiss. No, this this is the wonder-working God, the God of creation, the God of redemption, the God of sanctification, the God who works wonders for you. Not against you, but for you. And we're going to see that play out in the text, too. So as as the text continues, then, Manoah's got his offering on the altar, this young goat and the grain offering. It's on the, the rock. It's on the altar. And then this is the, the aha moment for Manoah and Mrs. Manoah in verse 20. The flame goes up toward heaven from the altar, and the angel of the Lord, this man who's been talking to them he goes up with that flame they see it they fall on the their faces to the ground then they don't see the angel of the lord anymore and then manoah gets it manoah recognizes what what has happened take us take us into this scene pastor poppy yeah there's there's a lot that's going on here and you know when you when you see these these sacrifices in the old testament um i think sometimes we don't get a picture of what's what's really going on. Um, the 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 altar is constructed here. It's a rock that God has uh, blessed and designated. The offering is put on the altar, and then people wait. And how do they know if God is accepting their sacrifice? But He sends a fire. He sends a consuming fire. He sends a fire to show that the sacrifice is accepted, pleasing and acceptable in his sight. And so imagine, if you would, this, this huge fire stoked by God, created by God, stoked by God, burning up into the air. God has accepted their sacrifice. Normally, that's the end of the story. But the angel of the Lord goes up 
in the flame of the altar, and they don't see him anymore. Imagine what they're thinking. Again, back to Exodus 3, where the bush is burning, but it is not consumed, and the Lord God speaks from the bush. We have, later on, we're going to have... not Ezekiel, uh, Elijah going up to heaven in a chariot of fire, a flaming chariot. We have this miraculous work of God, but we also have the God who lives in the flame and is not consumed. Three men in the fiery furnace. You see a fourth. Oh, and his face has the appearance of uh, the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. And so we see a God who is in the fire, but the fire does not consume. And now, by the grace of God, faith is um, kindled, enhanced. He, he understands and believes that this visit was from God himself. Not just a messenger, but God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ. Hmm. So Manoah gets it. Manoah Noah's, if I can... Say that, yeah, right. I'd like to take credit, but but there was someone else that gave me gave me that idea. So Manoah Noah's now who the who he's talking to, and and his reaction is he thinks he's going to die. This is not the only time we see this in the scriptures, Pastor Poppy. Why does Manoah think he's going to die, and and why doesn't he die? Well, first of all, God's word is clear: no one can see the Lord uh, and live. God makes that clear. We see this. Uh, we see this in Isaiah. Um, get away from me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. God could have vaporized him, but instead, he he sends one of the seraph with a burning coal to absolve him uh, and specifically of his sin by touching his lips. We see the same thing with Peter and the miraculous catch of fish. Uh, he knows he's unworthy because the light bulb has come on. He realizes that Jesus isn't just a great teacher, but is the very Son of God. God says, be perfect, as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. Be holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. We have all of this Moses going up on top of Mount Sinai, and you know he is, he is graciously allowed to live, but even his appearance and his hair and everything about him has changed because he has stood in the presence of God. This is, this is confession and absolution. This is Manoah realizing, just like we confess on, in our divine service, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. He realizes he's in the presence of God. He realizes he deserves nothing but death. And, uh, you know, thankfully, his, uh, his wife catechizes him here. Mm-hmm. Right. So how does, his, how does his wife comfort him? How does his wife give him the, the good news? Well, much, much like the, uh, the older woman speaking to the uh, young vicar in uh, The Hammer of God, the wife says to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Mrs. Manoa reminds her husband that God is a God of steadfast love, chesed. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he is merciful. They deserve death because they have seen the Lord, but God has not come to vaporize them. God has not come to condemn them. God has come to save them, to bless them, to encourage them. And the proof is in the fact that God takes on a form that they are allowed to see and yet live in this angel of the Lord. Once again, God takes on flesh and blood for us and for our salvation, a picture of what's coming with Jesus. Mm, for sure, yeah. And, and so then this, this text concludes here in Judges 13 on a, on a rather hopeful note. She gives birth to the promised son, 
calls his name Samson. We find out that the Spirit of the Lord begins to stir in him as a young man. Uh, what about his? We, we're running out of time, Pastor Poppy. And we're probably going to. Uh, what about the name Samson? I know we got to talk about that. Um, well, you know, Samson. If you if you do the word study and all that, means to devastate. But it it has a special nuance and a special flavor here. It is he is the strong one. He is the daring one. He is the devastating one. And God will use him to devastate the Philistines. And we're going to see that in about three chapters. It's coming. But even in the name, just like the name Jesus is significant, uh, he will save his people from their sins. And, and we see all these parallels here. The woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And she gave birth to her firstborn and gave him the name Jesus and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, Luke 2. So we, we have these uh, pictures here. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. That's just like the end of the, chapter, uh, of the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Luke 2.52, how uh, Jesus grew in the, in the Spirit and nurture of the Lord. You know, he's growing up. All these parallels here where Samson is a type of the greater Samson who's going to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think with the the so many connections here in chapter thirteen that give us hope going forward. I mean, think about all of the sins and failures that we've seen in the book of Judges, and here we've got this moment of great hope in the middle of all of it. As the account progresses over the next couple of days, as we'll see, Samson is not going to live up to these great expectations that he's got, and all of that I think is going to have the effect of leading us who read it, the people of Israel at the time, us now, to yearn all the more for that greater deliverer who is coming, Jesus Christ. Pastor Probably, we've got about two minutes here on the morning. Something's up for us. Well, the, uh, the picture that came to my mind when you were talking about that is uh, if you have a pet, generally it just works better for a dog, but I suppose it works for a cat or a gerbil or whatever, and, and you leave the house for a, for a time. Could be a short time, could be a long time. What does that pet, that dog do? Takes its nose and rubs it all over the front door or the big bay window, waiting, looking, hoping, anticipating. When they see that car pull into the driveway, they're jumping up and down. The, the uh, tail is wagging. The anticipation and excitement is there. Whether you're gone for 30 seconds or whether you're gone for 30 days, that pet is excited to see you. God is giving us a picture here, kind of an Advent picture of how we should be constantly looking forward to the appearance of Christ. We know that, that the greater Samson, Jesus, has come and has fulfilled everything for us, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve, rose victor victorious over sin, death, and the grave, ascended into heaven, fills all things. We have this salvation, life, forgiveness right here, right now, and yet we live in, right now, pretty hopeless world, pretty hopeless situation. We should be longing with eager expectation, just like that pet, waiting for Christ to come again in power and might and glory, to deliver us from evil and take us to the mansion prepared for us since the beginning of time. Pastor Clint Poppy is the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. Pastor Poppy, thanks for being our guest today. Always a great honor. Shout out to Rahima. I know this program is underwritten by LCEF. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.